You have to apologize to my coworker, Matt. What did Matt do? Matt listens to our podcast with his family in the car. Oh, no. When they drive places. Did I say a swear? I'm sorry, Matt. See, there we go. Now we're all set. Now we're in the clear. We don't have to do any disclaimers because we apologize to Matt. Excellent. What was the disclaimer, though? What do we have to disclaim? Uh, what do we... I never disclaim. I only exclaim. Frequently. Well, if I talk about it again, then we'll have to apologize again next... Oh, I see. Next episode, we'll be stuck in a loop. Is he, so I think is he we'll allergic just, to good humor? He's allergic to comedy gold. I knew it. Yeah. So now with our this might not be the podcast the way, for you, Matt. No offense. <laughs> it's all we have here is comedy gold. It's nothing but hilarity around here at Reference Frames Podcast. The only podcast where you're going to learn physics and have a good time doing it. That's probably not true. <laughs> Unless you like the CERN podcast. Yeah, I was going to say that. I guess you could go listen to that one. But we're, we're, we're way more fun, so stick around here. Uh, Reference Trace Podcast, the podcast where we use movies to learn physics. There we Boom. go. Boom. There we go. Uh, I, did the, I did the thing early. We're only at two minutes and 20 seconds oh, of recording time. So we still have plenty of banter time left. Oh, heck yeah. What did you do this week? Uh, I watched the first episode of Sandman. It was pretty good. I don't know what that is. It's a Netflix show. It's based on a Neil Gaiman oh. graphic novel. Yeah. It's all about a naked man in a big glass ball the whole episode. <sighs> so, Matt, you're warned. <laughs> you have to stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Will told me I have to return Lord of the Rings to him. Oh, well, that, you know what that means. Other Will. A different Will, not yeah, this separate Will. separate Will. We both know a Will. Yeah. They've been sitting on my TV stand for yeah. a very long time. A very, very long well, time. Which means you have to watch them. He gave me an ultimatum. He's like, either watch them. Well, he was like, bring them back to me next week, but watch oh, them. No. I was like, huh? I guess I won't be watching them. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. That's that. It is, it is a Friday. You have all weekend to watch yeah. them. Uh, the Reference Trains podcast, I introduced it already. We always start by checking to see if we have any corrections or errors that were pointed out to us in our previous episodes. And we don't. Once more, wow. we're flawless. Last streak. Yet again. Someone break that streak. Will anybody correct us no we're the foremost experts on everything i'll be honest I, I i thought i had a correction for me last week and then i thought about it more and i realized it wasn't a correction i needed to make but i thought there might have been one so i'm a little surprised. do you want to tell the people what what the correction was that you thought was a correction but actually you were right the whole time and do you want to brag about that no not really i thought i was wrong but actually i was right no no not really <laughs> i want i want okay. people to think about what i might have thought about and write in oh i haven't checked our gmail account in a long oh, no. time we have all these emails from we have a neil question DeGrasse on there that what if neil degrasse Tyson he doesn't, he doesn't understand the physics hey want a collab no offense neil i don't i don't want to collab with you whoa hey stop burning our bridges with famous physicists hey, you know what i call it like i see it man I, he's my he's our guest star today oh, no. and he just hung up oh, no. he just hung oh, up no <laughs> uh no corrections this week nice which means we go to your section of the podcast. Would you like to take it away, my friend? I would love to. <clears throat> the setting, a wintry schoolyard in late 1930s America. A group of elementary-aged kids stand around under the flagpole before heading in, witnessing a disagreement escalate to the highest stakes possible. The cause of the disagreement? whether Flick's tongue would adhere to the surface of the ice-cold flagpole should he choose to lick it. The stakes? Beginning as a simple double dare from Schwartz, he quickly promotes it to a double dog dare, 
Even the narrator remarks on the seriousness of this challenge. Flick tries desperately to defuse the situation, but before he can even utter a complete sentence in reply, Schwartz jumps straight past a triple dare, the penultimate escalation, and, quote, goes for the throat with a triple dog dare. The gravest of challenges to a child's honor. Thus challenged, Flick approaches the metal pole. The crowd leans in, murmuring excitedly as Flick's trepidation is replaced by defiance upon Schwartz's continued jabs. Bravely, or perhaps foolishly, the boy jabs his tongue against the flagpole, only to find he has indeed become trapped. As if the pole were a flytrap and his tongue a curious insect, Flick is stuck face first to the pole as the bell rings. The other children flee to the schoolhouse, leaving Flick flailing and wailing incoherently outside in the snow. End scene. Remember to drink your Ovaltine. I've actually never seen A Christmas Story. I just know that really? scene very well. It's a classic. It, that's what I've heard. It's, I don't, I've never heard it's a great movie, but I've heard it's a classic movie. Kind of like it's, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Like I wouldn't call it a next Whoa, hey, come on now. It's a fine, like, if, it's fine, but it's not like. If you come after The Great Pumpkin, I'm going to be so upset. The Grand Pumpkin, isn't it? It was a sad year in the McKegg household when they stopped showing that every year. Oh, wow. They stopped showing that every year? They no longer show. I think it's the Great Pumpkin. Okay. I forget if it's the Great yeah. or Grand Pumpkin, but yeah. It's the Great Pumpkin. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> and then if I'm wrong, we'll get a correct <laughs> There we go. No, I, I always watched uh, the uh, Rudolph Red Nose Reindeer like, stop motion one with the horrible noise yeah. when his like, nose lights up. Yeah. Yeah, you know. He's Mr. Weenhagen. Is that from that one? I don't no, that's think not so. from that one. That's from a different one. Silver and gold. Oh, my bad. All right, what are we talking I'm about? Missing this week, an, Ian? Uh, we're talking about um, a Christmas story, of course. Of course. Going to break down the cinematography, the directorial <laughs> style, the vignettes. Uh, yes, very nice. Uh, well, obviously, we are certainly the focal point is going to be the tongue on the pole because. Are you sure? I am without a doubt this time. Uh-huh. I'm actually certain well, of this. All right, all right, all right. Because that is the most interesting thing that happens in the entire movie. Really? Doesn't he shoot himself in the face with a BB gun? No, it bounces off a mirror in his imagination. Oh, okay. Or maybe it's not. He like breaks his glasses. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this movie. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to talk about how in the world could a tongue, Mm. simply by touching a pole, Mm. freeze to it. Mm. What's the deal with that? All right. Also, side note, they just leave. They just leave. They do. There. And then the <laughs> teacher is like looking inside. around like, oh, where's where, where's this kid? And they're all <laughs> they're like, they're not even like he needs help. They're like, no, and they're all quiet. They don't say anything in the class. Eventually, one girl in the front like raises her hand. She's like, yes. And she points out the window. And the kid's like out <laughs> and he, at the pole still stuck. Looks out the window and he just sees this kid flailing around <laughs> in front of the school. <laughs> horrible. Children are horrible. They're very, they can be very, very uh, mean. You apologize to Matt's children. Sorry, Matt. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Ian. Uh, I think that's the direction we're okay. going to go. Okay. You are, Am I right? You are correct. We are focusing on that. The topic at hand being uh, sort of thermal conduction and heat flow and that kind of idea. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, disclaimer for all the physicists and engineers out there. I will not be discussing 
convection or radiation, which are two other ways heat can flow. We might do those later. I don't know. Um, but we're going to focus solely on conduction here, which is one way that heat can flow and temperatures can equilibrate. All right. So first off, temperature, what is it? So we discussed this briefly. Um, we were talking about Batman Begins. Um, we were talking there about phase transitions and things evaporating or boiling. Um, so we had to talk about temperature a bit there. Um, so if we model matter, if we choose to model matter as a bunch of atoms and molecules um, in various formations and hooked together or not, depending on what state of matter they're in, um, and we look specifically at solids where the matter is condensed and is formed and they're kind of hooked up and they're linked together, Right. If we do this, if we model this way, and we zoom in on an object, so let's let's look at an object. Let's say it's a metal spoon that's just sitting in a kitchen drawer and it's been there for since last supper. I don't know, been there for a long time in a kitchen drawer. Metal spoon. We zoom in on it. What are we going to see? So if we model it this way, what we're going to see is a bunch of little atoms. Right. Little. Maybe it's a pure iron spoon, which doesn't exist. Maybe it's a pure iron spoon. We see a bunch of iron atoms. Um, and they're all linked together. So there's all these little, little, we can imagine them being kind of spherical. They're all, you know, linked together because it's a solid um, metal spoon. And we pretend these little balls are hooked together. And we can kind of treat it as if they're hooked together by little springs, right? And the spring analogy is a pretty apt model um, because they both prevent them from getting too close, right? If you compress a spring, it pushes back. But they also keep them from getting too far apart um, because it's all one cohesive mass. So just imagine these things hooked together by springs, all right? You can imagine like those uh, trampoline springs. So these balls attached by springs that make up this mesh, this big lattice of balls of these iron atoms that make up this spoon, uh, zoom in this far, um, they're not just siddling, sitting there. Uh, they're, also, they're not siddling there either. They're all wiggling and vibrating and spinning and twisting and all that fun stuff. They're all moving around, and therefore these springs are in constant motion, pulling them back together and pushing them apart and you know jiggling around the whole thing. And we can sort of classify this level of wiggliness, in quotes, right, of these atoms as, in the, uh, as the spoon's temperature. The wigglier everything is, the more things are moving around, the more they're jiggling, the, the higher the temperature of the spoon, right? So right now, in this kitchen drawer, um, the rate of vibrations is commensurate with the temperature of the kitchen. So whatever room temperature is in the house, that's the temperature um, that is described by the motion of these balls. If we were to pick that spoon out of the drawer, though, and hold it in our hand, something interesting will happen, right? So humans are warm-blooded, right? Um, so the atoms that make up our bodies are all roughly vibrating at a rate that's commensurate with a temperature of about 37 degrees Celsius or almost 100 degrees Fahrenheit, right? 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So that is the number we give for this. And notably, that's a higher temperature than most room temperatures, unless you're in August. Um, but, you know, typically room temperature is... Uh, cooler than the human body is, right? And so therefore, once our hand touches the spoon, comes and pick it up, right? The atoms in our skin, which are vibrating quicker because it's a warmer temperature, vibrating quicker than the atoms in the spoon, um, the atoms in our fingers and the, at the contact point start to slow down because they're giving energy to the atoms in the spoon. So therefore, those atoms that they're touching start speeding up because they're being bounced around more vigorously by our hand atoms. And our hand atoms are getting slowed down by this sort of Imagine trudging through mud, right? Kind of pushing back on you a little bit. Um, so if we zoom out again, right, is this temperature analogy for what this motion means, right? Our hand starts to cool down because it's losing this energy as it's getting slowed down by these atoms in the spoon. And the spoon is heating up, 
Right. Follow me so far, Ian? The basic idea here? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, the classic analogy of yeah. kind of springs on balls to describe temperature. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, what you're saying is something everyone is familiar with, that if you touch something that is cooler than you, mm-hmm. it feels cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the- and if you were to leave that spoon, put that spoon back, and someone else came and touched it, they'd be like, hey, one part of the spoon is warmer than another. Exactly, yeah. So the end result being the temperature of our hand decreases, temperature of the spoon increases. Now, of course, we are humans, so we are generating more heat constantly, so you don't stay cool. You eventually replace that heat because all your muscles are contracting and all that, giving off heat, but yeah. So this idea, this eventual balancing of the temperatures, right? Because the spoon warms up, the hand cools down. This idea that two objects in contact um, equilibrate, we say, but they reach, eventually are moving towards the same temperature across both of them. Um, This is often called heat flow. So the idea is that your body has thermal energy, that energy flows as heat into a cooler object or vice versa if it's a hotter object than you. Um, and this happens anytime any two objects of different temperatures come into contact, right? The, the key is you need to be different temperatures. If that ever happens and you're touching, then heat will flow. The temperatures will change towards each other. Um, and this is what we mean when we say uh, thermal or heat conduction. It's direct contact objects interacting with these molecules, these balls bouncing into each other, slowing each other down, and speeding each other up. That's what we're talking about. Okay? Okay. Cool. I'm in. Cool. And for this context, right, we're ignoring uh, any other materials that are touching the spoon, such as the air molecules, uh, any other objects touching your hand, right? We're ignoring all that stuff. We're focusing on the classic physics example of in a vacuum, blah, 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 right? Okay, so let's look at this scene. What's going on in this scene, right? So in this scene, Flick's tongue and saliva are all roughly 100 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Around body temperature, probably a little colder. Because, you know, that's really your core temperature. In the extremities, it's a little colder. But, so they're around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Meanwhile, the flagpole is obviously well below freezing. Um, we, well, we know why it's well below freezing, as we see in the scene. But we know that for sure the flagpole is quite cold. Maybe zero Fahrenheit, maybe even colder. I don't know what the air temperature was outside. Um, so therefore, when his tongue touches the pole, right, the saliva on his tongue is filled with water molecules. They're jittering, jittering around a lot. You know, 100 degrees Fahrenheit's worth of jiggling. A lot more than the poles, molecules are jiggering. Jiggling. Um, so therefore, when they slam into the flagpole's atoms as they're bouncing around inside the saliva, the iron mm-hmm. heats up, right? And more importantly for him, at least, the saliva cools down, right? Rapidly. Quite rapidly. And unfortunately for Flick, metals, such as the pole, are very good conductors of heat. So... I'm not going to go super deep into what's special about metals. There's a lot of things that are special about metals. But one of the things that's cool about metals is that not only do these atoms inside the, mole- the, the metal vibrate, and therefore they can in, in, you know, interact with the water molecules in the saliva, but also in metals and other conductors, there are free electrons that are, that are floating around inside there as well. They're free to move wherever they want. This is part of what makes them good electrical conductors as well. But these electrons can also be hit, slammed into by these water molecules, right? and his tongue and all that fun stuff. And they are able to move. Unlike the atoms, these ion cores inside the metal that are stuck, right, in these, in these you know, metal balls on springs, right, these electrons can actually move. And so they spread it a lot quicker, the heat. They disperse it a lot quicker through the material, which is why metals and other things like that are such good conductors of heat, one of the reasons. So because they have a secondary means of transferring the heat, these electrons. So therefore, poor Flick, 
his tongue touches the pole, his saliva is transmitting energy into the flagpole, right? Um, and because it's a metal, it can go a lot further than just the contact point. That heat starts to disperse throughout the entire flagpole. Obviously, it's not that good of a conductor, but a much larger area than his tongue can, because his tongue isn't that nearly as electrothermally conductive. So, as it starts heating up the entire flagpole, uh, his small volume of saliva cools down, maybe 30 degrees or so, let's say a little instant in time. Maybe the saliva cools down 30 degrees. In that same time frame, that heat that flowed out of the saliva flowed into a large mass of this metal flagpole. Therefore, the flagpole may be only warmed up a degree, probably less than that, right? So as these things are nearing the same temperature, it's going to near a below freezing temperature very quickly because his saliva temperature is dropping like our stone and the flagpole's barely rising at all, right? So poor, poor Flick. <laughs> as his saliva drops in temperature, so much so it actually begins to freeze, right? And we sort of talked about this in the Batman Begins episode, right? So I won't go too deep into it. But the water molecules are currently in liquid state. As they start cooling down, they start uh, bumping into each other more slowly, less vigorously, and eventually they start snapping together and forming ice, right? Um, and, unfortunately for Flick, since our tongue is full of pores and is very rough, and also this, poor, this rusty flagpole is also rough and full of pores, when this ice freezes, it seeps into all these pores and then freezes. So you can kind of imagine uh, putting your hand in a cookie jar. Maybe say there's a cookie jar with like a small opening. You can barely squeeze your hand in. If you then open your hand up wide or maybe grab a big fistful of cookies, you can't pull your hand back out, right? Same idea here. Water went in, now it's ice. And ice can't get out because it's, it's inside these, all these pores in your tongue and in this pole. So unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. I mean, eventually, right, the human body can do a lot to keep its body temperature constant, keep putting heat into the tongue, try and melt that ice but good luck heating up an entire metal flagpole with just a little kid's body heat it's not likely to happen so eventually they get the police and the, and the firefighters there to put some warm water on it melt it so we can take his tongue off okay that's the scene does it all Ooh. make sense Ian so far I mean I think it all makes sense what you what you essentially are saying is that flagpole mm-hmm. is really cold very cold and his tongue is fairly warm mm-hmm. Um, however, there's much more kind of, did you use the term thermal mass? I did not, but you go for it. Okay. I'll try to avoid using terms. I try to avoid thermal mass. I said wiggliness for this (laughs) instead of thermal (laughs) energy, but whatever. It takes much more energy to heat up the pole than it does to cool down the tongue Mm. because there's a lot more of it to do that cooling. And as a result, the tongue cools rapidly and freezes. Poor, poor Flick. Okay, so that's the idea. The, the, Not just because of the tongue, but because his parents named him Flick. I know, I know, yeah. Sorry to derail, but it's been on my mind this whole time. I really I hope that was his name. I really hope it's a nickname. And I, like I said, yeah, I haven't seen the movie. Maybe they describe it at some point as a nickname. I really hope so. But it is a 30, so what are you going to do? Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So all this heat is flowing from him, therefore cooling down himself, cooling down the saliva, heating up the flagpole. But boy, that flagpole does not heat up much as his saliva cools down rapidly. So when they eventually yeah. equilibrate in temperature, they reach the same temperature, that temperature is well below freezing, uh, and therefore his poor tongue gets frozen. Okay, there we go, Ian. There's the idea. Heat flow from hot to cold, eventually reaching the same temperature ideally, but obviously the air is also very cold, so that's keeping the that's in contact with the flagpole, keeping it cold. There's a lot of things working against poor Flick here. So where do we see this sort of phenomenon, this heat flow or 
flagpoles, whatever. Where do we see it in the world today? I did it. You you put your tongue on a flagpole? Why yeah. you, why would you do that? You've seen the movie. Because I saw the movie. I wanted to try did it. it work? Yeah. I didn't do as much. Flick sticks his whole tongue on it. I did like the very, very, just a tiny little touch to see if it would actually happen, and it totally does. Would you, did you rip it off? But a place we see it. No, it was a it was little enough that I could just pull it off. But definitely was sticky. Um, but we also see it with like ice cubes. Mm. If you grab an ice cube fresh out of the freezer and you're I don't know, your mouth is in just the right state, like maybe there's some saliva on your lips and you mm. like touch the ice cube to your lips, it'll stick there. It's funny. <laughs> Very frustrating sometimes when you're not expecting it. It's true. It'll 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 come off pretty quickly as you melt. You know, as your as right. body moves, that layer there. of ice melts pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. But yeah, no, I've definitely experienced that. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, we deal with uh, heat pretty much, or temperature, almost constantly in our lives. Think about our computers have big old chunks of metal in them just to catch all the heat, and then we have special fans to blow the heat to, to blow cool air onto that metal to cool it back down, so our computers don't overheat. Uh, we have to deal with the flow of temperature constantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically all of engineering has to care about this. <laughs> anything you're making, anything, yes. a building, a computer, anything, you have to care about insulation or conduction of heat capacity, all this stuff, right? It's, it's actually sort of interesting. Um, the FDA regulates based on material as well. Hmm. So if you have a medical device that is going to be touched by mm. a human being... They characterize how hot it can be based on how long someone is touching it, essentially. Oh, interesting. So they say, like, at 60 degrees or whatever, mm. for metal, a human can touch this for, like, X seconds before they get burned. If it's plastic at 60 degrees, a human can touch it for this long before getting burned. It's really interesting. That is interesting. And kind of controlled how we had to design our device a little bit in the sense that we couldn't make everything out of metal but that's sort of un not very feasible anyway sure and actually th that's that's a great example and everyone's experienced this one too where if you have uh you know right next to you probably you either have a wooden piece of furniture or maybe a, a plastic desktop i don't know wooden desktop whatever if you touch that and everything in your room presumably is at room temperature because it's been there for weeks or days or whatever everything's everything in your room roughly is at the same temperature but if you touch a big piece of metal, like a big metal desk or a big metal table, and you touch the same size of table, but maybe it's wood or plastic, they will feel drastically different temperatures, right? Even though they're at the same temperature, right? So this is actually an interesting thing about human perception of things, right? We're not actually feeling the temperature. It isn't what we, we, we perceive it as temperature. We call it temperature, but what we're actually feeling is how much heat is flowing out of us or into us if they're warmer than us, right? Generally, we like furniture that's cooler than us. Yeah, so if you touch something that's cooler than you, like room temperature stuff, when you see a metal surface, because it's so thermally conductive, like the flagpole, right, this heat is able to flow out of you much quicker than it would for an equivalently sized wooden object, for example, because it's less thermally conductive. So therefore, it feels cooler because you're it's sapping heat out of you much quicker. So we actually don't experience temperature. We experience heat flow in or out of us. It's just kind of an interesting factoid I think about, and that's why you know, boy, oh man, if you're sitting on a on a on a metal bench, it can be a lot colder Ooh. than like a wooden bench. So, and if it's a hot day out and you sit on a metal Ugh. bench, youch. 
True. Am I right? True. But it will equilibrate with you quicker than a hot wooden bench. Oh, well, there we go. You just got to you got to deal with it for just a just less time. Don't sit on hot benches, maybe. All right. Any, any other ones for uh, Ian? Uh, a fun one is uh, water. Actually, mm. there's a little application of of kind of heat flow. So if you've ever been maybe in a bathtub that's cooling off, okay. you've been sitting still for a while, and then you move, you might get the sensation that the water is much colder than you thought it was. Mm. And that's because when you're sitting in water, you heat up the water immediately around all of your skin. But then that water doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there. And then as soon as you disturb the water, it brings in new, fresh, unheated water. Heated not by your body, but instead by the cooling room temperature air around you. Um, And that's why scuba divers wear wetsuits or dry suits. A wetsuit brings water in, and then it doesn't exchange that water. So you have to heat up that water one time, and then it just kind of exists right there with you. Mm -hmm. Whereas a dry suit holds air, and you heat up that air, essentially, and it prevents cold water from getting in. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the wetsuits, i always been curious about that. So the idea is that they, like a sponge, where it takes water once, but it doesn't let the water leave? Just keeps the water there? Yes. Okay. Yep, correct. Gotcha. Because I was wondering about, the, like, how is it insulating if it, it just helpful? lets the water in and out? Okay. Yeah, so the idea is the water gets in one time, you heat that water up. And then I don't, I have no idea how it really works, why it never exchanges water, even sure. though or maybe it just exchanges very little, moving. maybe or something. Yeah, it's got to be just a, a, a smaller amount than just swimming around would be. That's interesting. What do you got today? You got some fun ones? Yeah, sure. Well, I have, I have some just everyday ones. So, like, anytime you're cooking, right? So, let's say you have a, a you're frying up some fish or some chicken or something, right? In your cast iron pan. Cast iron pan, right? So, if you have an electrical cooktop, even more conduction is going on, right? You're resting this pan on top of a hot burner. That burner is in contact with the metal pan, so it's, you know, those atoms are smashing into the, ad- the things above it, making them vibrate a lot quicker, heating up the pan, right? And then doubly so uh, for that, but even if you have, you know, a gas flame, which isn't conduction, once the pan gets hot, you put the food on the pan, then the pan, those atoms are smashing into the food atoms, making them vibrate quicker, making that food heat up. So, pow, 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 take that salmonella. <laughs> Heck yeah. So, yeah, so conduction, anytime you're frying anything, conduction will be there. Um, this is, uh, one reason we like, uh, putting oil whenever you're frying something in a pan, because it, um, if you just imagine putting a big crinkly piece of meat or something, a big vegetable on a pan, not a lot of it is touching the hot pan, right? Most of it won't be touching the hot pan and conduction can only happen if they're in direct contact, right? These elect these, these atoms don't jump out of the surface to slam into it and jump back in, right? So yeah. the oil is meant to kind of fill in all those creases and allow so the pan then can heat up the oil, which can then touch every part of the food and heat up the food evenly. Um, it's teamwork. Exactly. So food, cooking, um, not boiling. Boiling is not, that's a different, that's convection, but, you know. Um, another one, uh, if you have ever walked on a beach or any time in the summer really with barefoot, uh, boy, that hot sand is hot, right? You're, I mean, you're 98 degrees, but that sand, if you're feeling hot, especially when it's that hot, clearly it's above that because it's transferring heat into you therefore you must be cooler than the sand and especially if you have hot asphalt blacktop oh man walking on that barefoot holy moly that gets hot um no thank you it is therefore conducting heat into you um another one kind of a maybe a pro tip i guess if you want to thaw some frozen food right this whole idea of these like things that are very thermally conductive taking heat out of things or adding heat into things really quickly right technically if you have a big metal tray you put a frozen chicken breast or something on it, 
it'll take the heat out. It'll put heat into it much quicker than an identically sized and shaped wooden tray or plastic tray because the heat is able to flow much more easily into into the chicken or whatever you're, whatever's frozen. Uh, any others? I have uh, sort of another one. That's about it for me. I mean, there's just so many. That's the thing. It's, it's literally like, everywhere. Like what to pick, yeah. you know? Yeah. And specifically conduction, right? So a lot of convection, a lot of radiation that goes on. Um, yeah. So another one uh, is if you imagine uh, you're at a campfire, right? Um, some people, when you're making s'mores, you want to put the, you put the, the marshmallows on like a twig or something like a piece of wood that someone cut and turned in, sharpened to a point and you put it on there and cook it. Um, and some people have those little wooden, those little metal ones that are like extendable or whatever you can put food on. Yeah. So if you have a metal one and a wooden one, you put them both in the fire. If the metal one doesn't have a handle that's wooden or plastic or something else, they'll become very uncomfortable to hold, very hot, much, much, much quicker than the wooden one will. Because again, it, the metal's being heated up, not by conduction, but by different means, but it's, the metal's being heated up at the end, the end of it, where the, where the marshmallow is. But then because it's a metal, that hot part very quickly sends up the up the rod in the metal one and much more slowly in the wooden one. You basically will never get burned as long as you don't put your hand in the fire. Um, the heat will not transfer up the wooden one nearly quickly enough for to make it a s'more. So, another fun one. That is a fun one. Anything else, Ian? No, I like mine. Nice. So do I. I think. Mine were they right, were weren't they? Yeah, they're great. Excellent. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. No problem, buddy. Yeah, I'm satisfied with the ones that I picked. Yeah. But the important to remember, we're skipping a ton. Heat transfer basically is the universe, right? Like the, the laws of thermodynamics kind of define everything to some extent. Not literally everything, but a lot of things. Well, geez, that's kind of heavy, don't you yeah. think? Well, we're only doing conduction. That's that's like a little piece of it. A little tiny baby but piece But nonetheless, of it. it's everywhere. Okay. So, Ian. All right. Are there curious people out there? You tell me. There are curious people out there in the world, and they have some questions for us. And other people listening might even have questions for us. Folks, the third segment of our show is answering questions from you, the audience, about anything you want to send us. Generally about physics, but... I'll answer a Tolkien question if you got one. If you need a Tolkien question, Will can answer it. If you need some help because you're stuck in a video game, let us Mm. know. It would probably help. It's true. If a D&D question, Will can answer that pretty well. Tolkien Ian. I can answer it decently well as well from a player perspective instead of a dungeon master perspective. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us at Podcast Frames on Twitter or Reference Frames Podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, uh, but no one has ever seen it in their entire <laughs> life. So today's question comes from our number one contributor wow. at, Dave, at Davey uh, Nelly. Davey Nelly again? Heck yeah. The man himself says, suppose I were to Ant-Man a car. Oh. If it gets bigger... Would the atoms that make up the car enlarge, or would the number of atoms have to increase? Mm. Very interesting question, Davey and Nelly. Um, and I saw I saw your Twitter <laughs> change when I made that Davy Jones joke, so that's great. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. Really active member of the community. So, yeah, so that's a great question. So the idea, the question is, you know, if you were to throw these pin particles at your car, obviously it grows or shrinks, but let's say it grows. How's that happening? Are there atoms getting bigger or are there just more atoms now? So uh, so the first option, maybe the atoms are getting bigger, right? 
Unfortunately, that that's uh, unless the Pym particles have some means of literally altering the fund foundational physics of the universe, which I mean, it's comic books, maybe they do, who knows? Um, then it's not really possible to just make an atom much much bigger. Like there's not there's no reason. Like an electron isn't really a particle; it's more of just like a hazy thing where a particle might exist in right protons. You know, they have a size, but those are all dictated by like very fundamental physical laws. Um, so those probably aren't the answer. And actually, the, apparently the answer is the other one, the optional one, where they're just more particles now, which would seem to run counter to, you know, conservation of matter, conservation of mass, conservation of energy. <laughs> like, this seems to go, hold on, how does that work? But we looked it up, and according to uh, marvel.fandom.com, the wiki, uh, which is, I guess, just the wiki for all Marvel comics, Pym particles, and I quote, shunt matter into the cosmos dimension. So... <laughs> if, if it's shrinking it and then it takes particles from the cosmos dimension when it embiggens things so i guess the answer is when you hit your car with it spontaneously a bunch of new atoms come flying out of this pocket dimension the cosmos dimension um to help create the larger size um so turns out there is an answer to this question and it's it's in the lore i guess uh, there are just more particles and they're not from this universe they're from a different universe. So hope that answers your question, Davy Nelly. I surely did not expect that answer when I woke up this morning, but <laughs> there you go. I think that's it for us this week. Uh, are overall ready? This, this episode, uh, overall ready? Folks, if you like this podcast, nothing would be more fun than if you shared it with someone else. Because if there's one thing we need more of in 2022, it's people recommending podcasts to other people. That's true. It doesn't happen nearly often enough. Uh, so send it to your friends, tell your friends then about it again, force them to listen to your favorite episode, which is probably, uh, the one about the lasers. I imagine mm, gold, gold finger. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do that at podcast frames, reference podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if, if you want to give us a rating, Hey, you know, that'd be sick too. That'd be so cool. Um, tubular radical even don't name your kids flick. <laughs> Please don't Matt. <laughs> do not. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> bring Matt into this. Hey, you brought you brought Matt into this.